Welcome to Power Up, a podcast show hosted by Maurizio Di Paolo Emilio that brings life to some of the stories on Power Electronics technologies and products featured on PowerElectronicsNews.com and through other as Pencor Media publications. In this show, you'll hear both engineers and executives discuss news, challenges, and opportunities for power electronics in markets such as automotive, industrial, and consumer. Here is your host, editor-in-chief of PowerElectronicsNews.com and eeweb.com, Maurizio Di Paolo Emilio. Hello everyone and welcome to this new episode of Power Up. In this episode, we will talk about how to solve the climate change problem. To slow and stop climate change, we must reduce our emissions to zero. To do this, we need to revolutionize our energy system, generating only sustainable and renewable energy. We also need electricity grids that are sustainable and more reliable, for example, capable of combining different renewables in the best possible way. If society continues to rely on fossil fuels to the extent that it is currently doing, then carbon dioxide CO2 concentrations in the atmosphere are expected to double from pre-industrial values by about 2050 and triple by about 2100. Future projections based on climate models operated across a large number of research centers worldwide broadly agree on the patterns of global-scale warming, with greater atmospheric warming over, over land than over the oceans, and greater warming at high northern latitudes than in the tropics and southern ocean. Future changes depend on the emissions pathway and will be less if emissions are cut than under a high emissions scenario. In this podcast, we'll hear from Glenn Weinrep, director of, of the Manhattan 2 project. He has published on Power Electronics News over 18 articles on how to tackle climate change. These articles focus on how to get to zero emissions at lowest cost and the other is they look at how to spend billions of dollars on R&D to save trillions of dollars on a new infrastructure. Let me introduce Glenn and talk about climate change. Hi Glenn, how are you? Good, good. So today I would like to talk with you about uh, climate change, this uh, important topic. Before going into details, so please introduce uh, yourself to Power Up community. I am the uh, director of a nonprofit called the Manhattan 2 Project, and we specialize in identifying the lowest cost way to decarbonize. Last year, we had 40 college students doing R&D to reduce CO2. And in 2021, we published over 18 articles on how to tackle climate change. These are unique in two ways. One is they focus on how to get to zero emissions at lowest cost. And the other is they look at how to spend billions of dollars on R&D to save trillions of dollars on new infrastructure. Also, I founded a company 35 years ago called GW Instruments. We design and manufacture hardware and software products that interface computers to sensors and control systems in factories and research laboratories. Every day for 35 years, I discussed with engineers how to resolve problems with automation and R&D. I did not realize it then, yet realize it now, 
that this was a terrific training ground for tackling climate change. So climate change is in the news almost every day. And according to a survey, 67% of Americans want to decarbonize. However, USA gov government economists at EIA are projecting that USA carbon emissions will remain constant over the next 30 years and not reduced to zero. Other countries are similar, more or less. Many government leaders, leaders state they want to decarbonize, yet are not. Help us understand what is happening and what's your opinion from the last COP26. What has happened since first COP meeting and what hasn't changed since COP first? So I think the problem is what I call decarbonization confusion. More specifically, confusion over costs. If you want to decarbonize, then step number one is to define a parameter that represents decarbonization cost. An example would be the average consumer price increase for electricity after you have decarbonized most of electricity. For example, if you decarbonize 90% of US electricity over 10 years, and this causes its cost to increase two pennies a kilowatt hour, then the average American homeowner who pays 13 pennies today would pay 15 pennies in year 10. One could refer to this two penny increase as the cost of decarbonization. Decarbonization step two is for lawmakers to accept this cost in return for decarbonization. And step number three is to pass a decarbonization law that requires communities to decarbonize electricity over a specific period of time, given this cost increase. Also, you asked about COP conferences. I don't think they have much of an impact since nations need to go through this three-step process with lawmakers at home. However, COP conferences are helpful at creating awareness. So many communities do not want solar farms, wind farms, and transmission lines in their backyard. Doesn't this affect decarbonization costs? Could you have green laws that apply only to communities that want more economic activity and accept more infrastructure on land? Very much so. If you want to decarbonize at low cost, you also need three new laws. Law number one would give rural landowners the right to build solar farms and wind farms, even if their neighbors do not like how they look. Law number two would set up a government office with the authority to quickly demand the right of way for new power transmission wires. And law number three would set up a government office with the authority to amend price agreements between cities and carbon-based power stations. However, these laws are not popular with most lawmakers. They consider them disruptive. This means each nation has three options. Option A is to enact these three laws and decarbonize at low cost. Option B is to not have these laws and decarbonize at high cost. And option C is to not decarbonize and accept climate change. And the problem is that all three of these options are not popular with lawmakers. I think the only way to resolve this is for a federal government to create green energy zones that communities opt in at their own discretion. After they join, landowners have the right to build solar farms and wind farms. A government official has the authority to demand right of way for power wires, and a federal official has the authority to amend power agreements. 
Some communities might consider this disruptive and not participate. However, others would consider it a nice economic opportunity. Also, I think regions that are economically challenged are more likely to participate since they are hungry for jobs. So we also have the sources of the CO2 emissions that do not involve electricity, such as the manufacturing of metal, plastics, chemical, and cement. So these typically need the heat, which is often obtained by burning carbon-based fuels. So what is the lowest cost method of generated heat without emitting CO2? Heat costs 2 to $4 per gigajoule of energy when one burns coal or natural gas. The lowest cost heat in the world without emitting CO2 is a high temperature nuclear reactor in China. This heat comes in at $4 per gigajoule. If one reduced nuclear costs by a factor of two, then this heat would be cheaper than coal and natural gas. And this would have a big impact on decarbonizing China and it would help decarbonize manufacturing since much is made in China. Currently, the Chinese are building reactors one at a time. However, if they mass produce them in a factory and automated site construction, they could reduce costs significantly. At this time, engineers in China are working on making green hydrogen gas using direct heat from a nuclear reactor, and this could be piped into an industrial zone in China to replace coal and natural gas. We estimate the cost of this hydrogen at 65 cents per kilogram or $4 per gigajoule if they reduce their nuclear costs twofold. And this $4 is similar to coal and natural gas. It is easy to flow hydrogen gas in a pipe. However, storing it in a tank requires chilling it to minus 250 degrees Celsius, which is costly. One can add a nitrogen atom to the hydrogen gas to get liquid ammonia, which is NH3. This is easier to store and transport. However, adding and subtracting nitrogen costs money. If China exported green ammonia and the importer converted it back to hydrogen gas, then one could get green hydrogen at $18 per gigajoule, which is similar to the cost of gasoline. In other words, making green liquid ammonia in China and having it power vehicles outside China is one way of decarbonizing transportation. We talk about this in an article entitled, How to Decarbonize Transportation. Great. So in his new book, How to Avoid a Climate Disaster, Bill Gates says that uh, there are really only two data points that matter when it comes to tackling humankind's essential challenge. One is uh, 51 billion and another one is zero. The first is the number of tons of greenhouse gases that are typically added to the atmosphere every year. The second is the number we need to, to arrive at to avoid the catastrophe. He employs uh, the concept of the green premium. Carbon remains uh, cheaper as a source of energy because its negative impacts aren't uh, priced in. The green premium is the additional cost of using a green alternative. In some instances, such as uh, producing electricity using wind turbines or solar energy, it can be zero depending on the, on the country. In other uh, sectors, such as uh, concrete, fertilizer or steel production, it's enough to deter the use of clean alternatives. While wealthy countries might be able to pay a premium for these zero carbon options, that isn't currently possible for some fast-growing nations in Asia, Africa, and South America. 
the green premium needs to be so low as to make sense to switch. Some green premiums uh, for, for electricity, for instance, are within reach. Others will involve huge amounts of R&D and investment. How do you think about that? What you say is correct. We need the green option to be cheaper than the carbon-based option. And to reduce the green premium, we need more R&D. People like Elon Musk, Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, and John Doerr built fortunes using R&D and automation. In theory, the U.S. government could set up a large R&D initiative and invite these individuals to direct a portion of it. If one is looking for ideas on how to tackle climate change with R&D, then consider looking at our 18 articles. So Fusion aims to provide a lot and a reliable basic energy solution to meet the, the world's growing energy needs. What it can offer for the future of energy in our planets? Which are other sources for you that now we should consider? I remember an interview of Bill Gates where he said, fusion might come along, but we can't count on it. There are four sources of low-cost green energy. One is photovoltaic solar farms, two, land-based wind farms, three, hydroelectric dams, and four, nuclear fission in places like China. However, nuclear fission has several big issues. These include meltdown risks, nuclear waste, and proliferation risk. Each of these can be improved, yet only to an extent. To improve meltdown risk, one can work with nuclear fuel that does not melt down when coolant is lost. This is done with additives that attenuate energy output when the fuel becomes too hot. To improve nuclear waste, one can work with nuclear fuels such as thorium, which produce waste that last 300 years instead of 100,000 years. And to improve proliferation risk, one can work with nuclear fuels that are not easily refined into weapons-grade material. There's another type of nuclear power called fusion. However, this is still in development. An example is the ITER project in Europe. However, fusion is not operational due to two big challenges. Challenge number one is the power that goes into the machine needs to be less than the power that goes out. And challenge number two is the hot plasma inside the machine damages internal surfaces. The ITER reactor, for example, will only run for five minutes due to this radiation damage. With fusion, I think we should put more R&D money into tackling these two challenges and put less money into large machines that we know will not work. We discuss nuclear issues in an article entitled, Nuclear Power is Inevitable, Yet Not Everywhere. What's your opinion for electric vehicles? Could we make electric vehicles as cheap and as convenient as gas cars? Electric cars have challenges too. One is cost and the other is charging inconvenience. Let's say we are at a highway rest stop and we observe 200 gasoline powered vehicles refueling each hour at five minutes each. Now imagine we are at the same location yet working with electric vehicles instead of gas. These charge in 20 minutes instead of five, which means we need four times more bays. Also, we need about 100 homes worth of electricity at each bay, which is expensive. And waiting 20 minutes is not fun. Alternatively, if multiple car manufacturers worked with the same standardized swappable EV battery, then drivers could swap in a fresh battery in less than a minute and they could work with lower range batteries 
that also cost less. For example, a 150 mile range battery costs less than a 300 mile range battery per mile driven. Drivers could keep several swappable batteries in a chamber buried in their driveway at their home, and they could charge these with solar power during the day while they supply the house with electricity at night. In summary, a swappable EV battery system could potentially solve the cost problem and solve the charging inconvenience problem. If a large government did want to spend billions of dollars on R&D to save trillions on infrastructure, then how would they get started? In 1962, President Kennedy stated he wanted a man on the moon. In response, they set up NASA and gave them money to develop large systems. In theory, a government leader could do the same thing with climate change. They could set up a government laboratory and task them with solving the climate change problem by developing green energy cheaper than carbon-based energy. The leader could also establish goals such as reducing the cost of solar by a factor of two. We discussed this in two articles. One is entitled, Why Spend a Billion Dollars on Solar Installation R&D? And the other is entitled, Mechanizing PV Solar on Land. If a government or foundation was interested in setting up a large R&D initiative and they wanted help writing a proposal, I would be happy to assist. However, I have one rule. I work for free. And I do this since it enables me to maintain control over my time. So I have just the last one for, for you. Do you see the current pandemic as more of a threat or possibility for a future transition towards sustainability and renewables? Well, both are threats to society. Some countries have 10 cases of COVID per day, whereas others are looking at hundreds of thousands. This tells us that some countries know what to do, whether, whereas others less so. I think the same is true with decarbonization. I think if one finds it difficult, they're doing it wrong. I think nations should focus on two things over the next 12 months. One is establishing green energy zones that produce green electricity at low cost. And the other is setting up large R&D initiatives with goals like reducing the cost of solar twofold. I think climate change is like COVID. It is easier to work smarter than it is to work harder. Great. Thanks a lot, Glenn. It's been a pleasure to, to have you in this uh, podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Glenn. So the problem is what Glenn calls decarbonization confusion, more specifically, confusion over costs. If you want to decarbonize at low cost, you also need to consider three things, investment in solar power, a government office with the authority to quickly demand the right of way for new power transmission wires, and a government office with the authority to change price agreements between cities and carbon-based power stations. Heat costs $2 to $4 per gigajoule of energy when one burns coal or natural gas. The lowest cost heat in the world without emitting CO2 is a high-temperature nuclear reactor in China, Glenn said. Based on Bill Gates' book, we need the green option to be cheaper than the carbon-based option. There are several sources of low-cost green energy, photovoltaic solar firm, for example, and land-based wind. Electric cars have challenges too. One is the cost and the other is the charging infrastructure but we need to move into electrification as soon as possible. 
we needed to work smarter, not harder, Glenn said. He thinks climate change is like COVID. That brings us to the end of this episode. Stay tuned with more news and technical aspects about power electronics. If you are listening to this on the podcast page at etimes.com or powerelectronicsnews.com, links to articles on topics we have discussed are shown in this page. Power Up is brought to you by Aspencore Media, the host is Maurizio Di Paolo Emilio, and the producer is James Eid. Thank you everyone for listening, see you next episode, stay tuned.